You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I am back from my two-week holiday in Cornwall, um, which was absolutely brilliant, really relaxing, did lots of surfing, went to the beach and had a great time, ate some cream teas, which possibly shouldn't have done, um, and did come back to a pile of work, so it's taken me a while to get round to making this episode, so sorry if you've been waiting for it. Um, I'm Vicky Maguire. I work with schools. I coach teachers and senior leaders with the aim of improving their well-being, whether that's through teaching and learning coaching, one-to-one leadership coaching, or the group coaching programs that I run for women leaders. I'm a passionate advocate for coaching in schools and how it can significantly improve well-being for all. And today on the show, I am really excited to tell you that we are welcoming Vivian Porritt, who is a co-founder and one of the strategic leads of the Women Ed movement. She's also the co-editor of the book 10% Braver, Inspiring Women to Lead Education, which is a brilliant book. I loved it. I would highly recommend it to you. Um, Vivian's also the vice president of the Chartered College of Teaching and she's a former secondary head teacher. This interview today is so enlightening with regard to some of the issues that women face in the education workplace. And I thought that I knew quite a lot about the way that women have been treated and are represented and, uh, you know, the difference between pay. Um, But I was actually, I was really shocked by some of the facts that are revealed in the interview. A couple of them I'd I'd found out in my research and I've I've talked to Vivian about those, but there were some things that Vivian... um, told me that I was really really quite surprised at and 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 perturbed by if I'm being honest but what it reinforced for me is the fact that in order to improve conditions for women in the education workplace men and women need to work together so that we can solve some of these issues enjoy the interview Vivian Porritt, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. It's amazing to have you join us today. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Victoria. And thank you so much for inviting me. I'm I'm looking forward to our conversation. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, I feel really privileged that you decided to join us. So thank you very much. Can you start? I know you've had a very varied and interesting career. So can you start by just introducing yourself to the listeners and just giving them an overview of what you've done and what in the past and what you do now? Um, certainly. Um, I was an English and drama teacher and absolutely loved that. I think that was one of the happiest times I've ever had in education, just being in a darkened classroom or a hall when we're working on drama. I loved that. Um, I became a second in English department, head of performing arts, head of sixth form, assistant head teacher, deputy head teacher, head teacher. Um, quite a traditional trajectory. 
And I do sometimes wonder if that's because I didn't have children. Um, I've always wondered that, although when I became a head teacher, I started in a cohort of 12 women and two men which I just took for granted at the time because there are more women in education and that's how I thought it should be. Um, And there were lots of women there who had families. So it's only in later times that I really wondered about that. Um, If we'd have had more collaboration across groups of schools, I would have liked to have continued in that vein. maybe working across a trust or a group of schools or something like that. But but in the end, I thought if I became head teacher in another school, while the context of the school would be different, the job is the same. And I'm someone who likes change in my role. So I took a secondment to the Department of Education to be a national CPD advisor. And my patch was London so I began to work with a lot of amazing London schools at the time London Challenge was just beginning that was a very exciting time to be working in London Um, and at the end of the two-year secondment I had to decide what to do and the deputy head who was acting head was doing a great job Um, so I made a decision to move to the Institute of Education in London because I hadn't ever worked for a university. I'd done local authorities, schools, um, the the regional role in London. So I thought I'll do a university. Um, And I stayed there for 11 and a half years in the end, um, became head of department, which was quite unusual for somebody who hadn't come up as an academic. Um, and finished there as director for school partnerships. Um, Then I had breast cancer, which threw me for a period of time. And I think all of the thoughts that you gain a new perspective when something like that happens, you are, are quite right. And I decided I would work for myself then which was the third time I'd thought about that, but I'd bottled the previous two. (laughs) So I went for it this time. And within that period of having cancer and deciding to work for myself, um, I'd got used to working on Twitter because my brain couldn't cope with what was then more than 144 characters. (laughs) So I got into Twitter. (laughs) Um, And from there, Women Ed was born which is a key role I have now. So I'm one of the seven global strategic leaders of Women Ed and um, was one of the co-founders. I'm also at the moment vice president of the Chartered College of Teaching. I've been a chair of governors in London before and I have some governance roles now with a trust in East London and with Captiva Learning, with whom Women Ed are working as a partner on Um, some senior leader programs wow (laughs) (laughs) I am totally in awe of you um so can you tell me all about women ed 
what it is and how we can get our listeners involved. I know that we have um, a number of female, I think our, our listeners tends to be more female than male. Um, but if there are any ways that the men can get involved as, as mm-hmm. well, that would be great if you mm-hmm. could tell us about that. Oh, ab- absolutely. Women Ed's an inclusive organisation and we offer everybody in education. While our mission is focused on connecting and supporting and empowering women leaders to be leaders in education, if that's their choice and their aspiration. Um, so we still describe ourselves as a grassroots movement in that we're not a formal organisation, although we are looking to become a charity at the moment. Um, We're not a traditional organisation, we're a social media-based group. Um, We began on Twitter in 2015 and with the single aim of giving women on Twitter a greater voice in education um, in England <laughs> because that's we could just see that there were a lot of male heavy hitters on Twitter and, and women were either silenced or ignored or felt they couldn't contribute to any discussions. Um, and at the same time, data came out then, which none of us had ever seen before, about the proportion of women who were senior leaders and head teachers compared to their representation in the workforce, followed up fairly quickly by the very first gender pay gap data any of us had ever seen. And that showed some shocking pay gaps. Um, And bizarrely, the, the biggest gender pay gap was in primary head teachers with women earning a lot less than men. Um, and carried on all the way through there. So those two pieces of data galvanised women ed, really, to say we need to have a bigger voice on Twitter. I have to keep saying that. That's all we aim to do. We didn't think it would grow beyond that. Um, And we worked through networks because we were all volunteers doing it on top of our day job. So... We had to work with others. We couldn't do it our own. And we started to build networks in the English regions first. Then the rest of the UK started to join in. Then Netherlands. And gradually it grew. we've grown to a global organisation now with 35 networks across 20 plus countries. And... There are still a couple of continents we don't have representation on. So that would be lovely if that happened. Um, And we've written books and we've just grown to be the kind of organisation in a way that maybe we always should have been, which is giving women a voice on Twitter about education giving women a voice on other social media platforms and partnering with lots of amazing organisations to bring about the kind of difference that we think is needed for women in education. I, I've always wondered what the, I know there's um, like the Women Ed and now there's Bay Med and Brew Ed and all these sorts of things, but I'm, I'm glad you've explained that because I was always a bit like, I'm, I think you start, did you start a movement with the Ed sort of um no I, I think to be fair there was research ed 
otherwise they were probably the first um and and we just modeled our name on that because it seemed to make sense then it was baymed then it was lgbt ed then it was diversity ed and now it's just umpteen eds isn't it which is (laughs) is great it's absolutely fabulous and certainly women ed gave birth to quite a few sister organizations like maternity teacher paternity teacher um flex uh well I can't really, I can never remember its name <laughs> something to flexible, do with flexible working yeah, yeah. It, so about about part uh, about flexible working practices mm. um and several others that have grown out of that and within a lot of those other organizations there are lots of women-led members who are either running it or part of it so Caroline Derbyshire has just become chair of head teachers round table she was one of our authors in 10% Braver in the first book. So we kind of want to be infiltrated into lots of organisations yeah. because women should be leading a lot of these because of our um, heavy representation in the workforce, in education, in nursery schools, colleges, and also in higher education. Yeah, They're the same issues in different contexts and degrees. Yeah. I do um, I do a, a coaching program for women leaders in which I teach them about coaching and how to coach and then we, we coach each other and the aim is that that will support women to support each other through leadership roles and understand what their goals are and what they need to do to get there and the thing that I always start that program with is looking at the representation of women in schools because that really really interests me that the numbers especially in high school are flipped aren't they in terms of it's about somewhere around 30 percent of teachers in high schools are men whereas somewhere around 70 percent just less in the 60s percent of head teachers are men which always Mm -hmm. astounds me Mm -hmm. um and it's not it's not quite the same in primary schools, is it? But it there is a big gap. There is a difference between the number of male primary teachers and then the number of, of male heads. So what do you think we need to do about that? How can we get more women on into leadership roles and especially taking on more headship roles? In the six years we've been doing women ed, we've learned a lot. Um, we've always wanted to be uh, research informed as an organisation, as well as um, speaking the truth in terms of women educators and leaders lived experiences. So we see the two as as part of the same continuum. And in learning a lot, we know that there is no simple answer to your question. It is a very complex set of issues that drive this. Um, We're a values-based organisation and the way in which we characterise challenge, which is one of our values, I think starts to go towards answering that question because we challenge individual women um, in terms of their own mindset and their own thinking. We challenge individual men in the same way. Um, We challenge organisations which employ women leaders and we challenge the systemic issues that 
are often the cause of a lot of the barriers for women progressing. And it's a complex interaction between those three aspects that mean women aren't seen as often as men in leadership in schools in particular, especially in leadership in higher education and disproportionately represented in the primary sector. Um, so it's about women's mindset, but that mindset is a systemic issue because we've been socialized for millennia to see ourselves not as leaders, um, to see ourselves as domestic homemakers. Um, um, you appreciate I'm just doing both ends of the continuum and to be quiet and passive. And the kind of gendered stereotypes that that millennia of historical conditioning lay on women, I mean, it can be very difficult for even women themselves to persuade themselves that they want to lead, that that burning ambition inside them can be reached. Um, so we, we work on all aspects of those three interactions, really. Um, so it's slow and it's complex, but it's absolutely necessary. I'm, I'm, I've got so many different thoughts going on in my head here of like different different things that this brings up for me, like just sort of that societal conditioning in the media, in films, in television, in things, mm -hmm. you know, in things that we see that portray men in saviour, hero, leadership roles and women as the, mm -hmm. the, you know, they're always in need of saving by men, aren't they? You've got all those issues and when you look at the the figures to do with women who's you know in questionnaires and surveys who take on the main elements of childcare and looking mm -hmm. after the home while doing jobs and things like that and my experience as well is that when I've done um, coaching with women and group coaching programs is that there's a lot more questioning and introspection. Women are a lot more introspective and reflective and question themselves a lot more and question their abilities. And I'm not saying that men don't do that, but, you know, the idea that women probably experience imposter syndrome more and have a much stronger inner critic. And there are lots more things going on sort of inside women that prevent them from being able to, to make the move that they might want to, to mm -hmm. make. Um, so in terms of supporting women, how do you think we can do that to sort of, one of the, one of the issues is confidence. So many women come to me and say, I, I, I need more confidence. And I'm just wondering how, how we can work together to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I think I would, I would query that w women are how we see ourselves in a way and, and the reason why that is. Um, I, I don't actually think biologically there is that much difference in the way women and men think and behave biologically. Mm. Um, and you only have to look at babies to know that. But, but we are both genders both sexes are within a kind of gendered cage in how both are seen 
are expected or perceived to behave. So men do have imposter syndrome, but because of that gendered expectation on them, they are much less likely to articulate that than women. Yeah. Whereas women think they're supposed to feel like that, so they often do. I'm not saying it's anybody's fault, any individual's fault there. It's the pers- the the gendered stereotypes we have grown up in. And what's scary is that children as young as five or six have those gendered stereotypes fixed in their head, and it's very hard to shift by then. So no wonder when we're 25, 35, 45, those gendered stereotypes are still absolutely prevalent in our thinking, both for men and for women. And and really what Women Ed is about is about equity between the sexes um, and proportional equity. We, We want men to understand that they are as much a victim in a way of those stereotypes as as women are and that if both men and women can come together and share those concerns and share what how they want to be as leaders then we think we've got a better way forward to have a balanced leadership perspective um, and and to go with people's strengths I mean, in terms of confidence, therefore, I think a lot of women have the confidence they were born with bashed out of them. So I, I don't think it's inherent in women originally, but we are prone to responding to how the rest of the world sees us. And when the dominant view of that is that we are passive, we don't have a voice, we don't lead, we are mothers, we are homemakers. It can take a lot of confidence to to fight against that. Um, Confidence is one of women's values. And and we work on it really by, through role models of other women, telling other women their own stories, how they've succeeded, how it was difficult, what they've learned to do. we have a little bit of magic, which is our mantra of 10% braver. Um, I don't think we expected it to quite have the strength that it has. It was just a quick and easy way to say what we thought would be helpful, that you don't have to suddenly change everything. You just have to take one small step, decide how that feels, then another and then another. And, And that seems to have resonated a great deal with the women ed community and we even have people on twitter adding 10 percent braver into their tweets and they have no idea where it's come from they just think it's a good phrase and that includes men they're going yeah i'm going to be 10 percent braver today they have no idea where it's come from but that's great (laughs) that's super and and that really does seem to have resonated significantly with a lot of women the other thing we ask women to do then is to celebrate their own successes and that of other women. And that was a hard ask at first, but now people now not only share their successes, but they share their failures in inverted commas and say, basically, I haven't died, so I'm going to give it another go. So they're even now moving forward in 
that way, yeah. which over six years has been a distinct shift in it, the voices and, and the things that people, women write about themselves. And you need that reinforcing, don't you? Because I sort of feel like what, what was reinforced when I was a child was don't show off, don't be bossy. Mm. Don't, stop, mm. And my mum would always say, stop being a show off. And, you know, rather than say, embracing it and saying, yeah, show off, show everybody what you can do. And that sort of stuck with me. And I think it is, I think it's a girl and a woman thing. And I think then you bring that into adulthood with you, that idea that you shouldn't show off because it's mm. not, it's not a female trait to be immodest or, you know, to be arrogant. I think it's hard because for women, I think there's a fine line between arrogance and being confident and sometimes there's a bit of a push and a, and a pull there is what no we've no, I don't, about I, no I don't I know I don't agree with that I don't think there is for women I think it's for other people's perception of women yeah so if a woman is being assertive yeah they are seen as being arrogant yeah I think that's what um, I mean I think they yeah. don't what if they feel like they they go out there and be confident and say what they're good at they might be perceived as being arrogant yes. yeah I wasn't yeah. saying that women were, were arrogant and that's that's sometimes one of the the fears and I think the idea with 10% braver is get over that you know don't be afraid of that and you know do that do that anyway um I've sort of lost the train of where I was going with that but I think that Oh, I was saying, wasn't I, about the, the being bossy and um, mm. and I was reading a blog that's on the Women Ed website, actually, and it was just what you were talking about. I shared it with my Women Lead Well group coaching group because I thought it was really appropriate and interesting that she was saying she's had to step out of her comfort zone and be more assertive and actually not be not be so concerned with how other people perceive that in order to be true to herself and be authentic mm -hmm. mm. and I think that's something that we sometimes struggle with as women being our authentic self because we are bothered about how we're perceived by other people. Before we find out more about how you can lead more authentically I'd like to tell you a little bit about our partner Head Teacher Chat. Head Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first School Leader Planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview. And, and that's what we've got to start to let go of in that way. Um, in the very last Women Ed in-person event that ever happened before the pandemic, it was the annual Women Ed London on conference, um, and I was closing it, and I'd seen a fabulous tool um, that was being shared for International Women's Day, where it would say, um, I'm not bossy, I'm the boss, and you could change, <laughs> you could, yeah, exactly, so it was all like that. But it gave you a whole set of words that 
women would often be described as and what it actually really did mean when you took the gendered perspective out. And at the end of the conference, I got all the, the London network leaders to stand up and say, I'm not this, I'm this. And the photograph of their image with those two words was coming up all the time. So by the end of it, we had 10 strong women being very clear about the language through which they wanted to be described. And that was a really powerful moment, which encouraged other people in the audience to then start doing the same on Twitter. And I've still got all those photos and I put them out quite regularly. And we have to be able to challenge ourselves to push past those stereotypes and expectations because they, as I said, we've learned a lot. They have a very insidious effect. Yeah even in aspects we don't recognise, like job adverts, that the language used is gendered language in job adverts. Yeah. And it actually um, influences women's decisions to even decide to apply for the role, never mind whether they're going to yeah. get it. And those things are pervasive. You know, it's not just women, is it? That Those things are pervasive across all elements of diversity and you know, the way that we we recruit staff. And it was interesting in the blog, actually, she refers to um, people who were um, auditioning for orchestras yes. and how, yeah. how there's bias towards men. And then when they did blind auditions, and I always think it's, it's a shame in schools that we can't do blind interviews. I don't know how it, I don't know how it would work or how you'd go about it because the idea of being there, but that, that sense that to be totally, it, it's a shame, isn't it? That we think you'd have to do something blind or you can't put names on things because it's so entrenched. Oh, yeah. Those, that yeah. unconscious bias is so deeply entrenched in the systems and everything that we do. Absolutely. I've done a lot of work on the recruitment process and I want to disrupt every single element of it because it, the status quo at the moment is giving us the status quo. Um, That's so the, the problem, way we isn't recruit, it? Because you, you have more men yeah. who are in, in those positions and then that is, that's the status quo, so that's what we accept. Yeah. So then... <laughs> you're just so in a we've, cycle we've of some, that aren't yeah, you absolutely and we've got some really simple asks that will shift and disrupt the whole process um, and I'll give you one for example which I think would help the gender pay gap so most organizations in education still have a question on an application form which says what's your current salary there is absolutely no need for that question anymore. It's a historical anomaly mm. from when people used to have portable salaries from one organisation to the next. That doesn't exist. It hasn't existed for years now. Um, and because women at the moment do earn less than men in similar roles, even though that's illegal, um, women if they write their current salary, will earn less than the other men who likely to earn less than the other men applying for the same job. Um, so that when the um, applicant is appointed, they will start to offer them a lower 
increase in salary from yeah. their current one. I've never seen a person spec yet that says you need to be the cheapest applicant. No. <laughs> Therefore, there is no need for that question and it should go on application forms and references. And we're starting a roll call of sheroes and heroes who have now decided to remove that question. And we were looking for a, a local authority or a mat who's going to do it wholesale as well. Um, and there's lots of other disruptions needed to the whole recruitment process. It, it's not just names that people respond to in their bias. It's even which university somebody went yeah. to. Yeah. Every single element of it is maintaining the status quo and needs complete disruption. And then if you add intersectionality in, if you're a woman and you're black, or if you're a woman who is visibly disabled, you are going to face even more barriers. And that's without thinking about sexual orientation and invisible disability, where people won't even declare it because they're so concerned about the yeah. treatment that will bring. So we are not the equitable, fair profession we want to be in the way that women are treated. And, and that, that really pains me because I thought I joined a fair, equitable profession. It's why I became an educationalist. So as you can tell, I think there's a lot we need to do about it all. Yeah, but it, it really interests me because I I agree with you. I thought that teaching was equitable. You have a pay scale and everybody, you know, if you've taught for so many years, we've paid so much. And then, you know, you have your TLRs and you've got your, your senior leadership scale. And I was I was always of the impression that the gender pay gap came from the fact that women tend to work more part time roles or, it, you know, things like that. And actually, I read something that you've written that says that in schools, the gender pay gap in education, if you look at full time teachers and leaders in schools, there is there is a gender pay gap. And I think yes, I wanted to that, I wanted to highlight that because I think there's yeah. a misconception out there mm -hmm. that the gender pay gap is just because and I'm not saying just because I'm not I don't mean it like that, but that people will take that approach. Well, it's just because women tend to work part time hours. No, it, it definitely this was really, isn't. Yeah, that, that was I the, thought we need the, to highlight that. The data that came out in 2015 that I said was one of our two key challenges, that was based on data from 2011, I think, um, which had been mined by Professor Becky Allen. Um, and that first set of data was only for full-time staff because they removed the variables. So the gaps would be even bigger in actuality because there are more women work part-time and therefore earn less. So we are working with the National Association of Head Teachers at the moment to do a thorough analysis of the latest data around pay. Yeah. In that data from Becky Allen, of the categories of educators, assistant heads, deputy heads, heads in both primary and secondary, there was a bigger pay gap in all except one, which was classroom teachers in primary. Um, in the latest data from 
the DfE, there is a gender pay gap in favour of men in all eight categories now. So it's actually going backwards. And I would hesitate. I don't have the, the actual data to say this, but I think there is a, a clear perception that the rise of multi-academy trusts and very significant salaries for CEOs, the majority of whom are men, is causing an increase again in the size of the gender pay gap. So now is absolutely the time for all of us to challenge in this aspect because it's only going to get worse. I also think that we need to remove the stigma of men working part-time oh, as well. Oh, absolutely. It, it's, to me, it feels like you know men don't want to work part-time because of how they might be perceived because of it and I wonder how we can promote more schools you know I don't know if schools will ever promote part-time working I know there are some schools that do but how we can promote that more so that we get more men who feel like yes and yeah I agree and there are more men starting to go part-time than there ever used to be mm. for all kinds of reasons just as there are for women um, I think it's more about promoting the advantages and benefits of the whole roster of flexible working practices that are there, not only part time. And I think the pandemic may have helped us here. So we know you no longer have to be physically present in a hall for a parents' evening. You can contact parents from your home, which benefits those people who want to work flexibly cpd has become suddenly very flexible indeed yeah. you don't again all have to be in a hall all at the same time um so what we advocate for is to highlight the benefits of flexible working practices yeah. and we do that with partners we we curate a whole set of case studies which are hosted on by the chartered college of teaching so neutral ground across all of the organisations and partners. And we, the authors of the case studies have to describe the benefits for individuals in the school, for the organisation itself. And really crucially, because it's one of the potential barriers, the benefits for students and pupils. And they're very short, succinct case studies, not five pages, getting dust in a folder or a file somewhere. Yeah. They're all online, very easy to access. And all the authors are very happy for people to contact them if they want help in making a business case, for example, or a school leader wants to develop flexible working but isn't quite sure of the best way to go about it. So they can get in touch with people who are making it work for them. So that's one of the ways I think we we can help um, and other organisations helping in this because it, it just needs to be usualised as, as practice. I think it's so important that, that leaders know where they can find that information. So mm. thanks for sharing that because it's so important that leaders, especially head teachers and governors, can see that it can work and it's worked yes. in other schools because I, at my experience of wanting to go part-time as a deputy, and I, I just wanted to go four days rather than five, 
was instinct it was an instinctive no it can't work yeah. and I think that initially that's the position that a lot of heads and governors will take no that can't work in a school and there are places where they've proved that it can work it was Absolutely. really it was really sad actually I went playing netball last night and one of the um one of the team I was playing with is a head of science and she's on four days and she would be an amazing assistant head teacher she's got so much leadership potential and I said to her you know what 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 are your plans are you and she said I think I'm going to stay where I am because I can do four days here and it really suits me um, and she feels like she doesn't want to go into a, an assistant head position if she has to work five days. And it made me feel really sad yeah. that she feels the, constrained by that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and again, it's the status quo. We've, this is what we've always done. So we're going yeah. to continue to do it. Again, I hope the pandemic is shifting that and the recruitment crisis is shifting that because you know, what would you rather do, not have a leader or have a great woman or man who wants to work flexibly? Uh, that's, that's, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? That should be a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the DfE is pushing on flexible working significantly, again, to help with recruitment. So that's a pragmatic reason for doing it. But a moral reason must also be that we ought to treat people in terms of their, the needs they have as human beings. And if we can't see people as human beings in education, what are we showing our students and our children? At the moment, most children in schools think women aren't leaders. Yeah. So we are, as a profession, we're perpetuating those stereotypes. Yeah. Or they're not, they see... Um, women and men of ethnicity of an ethnic heritage not as leaders I mean it's shocking what we're doing and we're really old-fashioned in these aspects and we really need to start asking ourselves what do we need to do to ensure that we can retain the great leaders that we have rather than yeah. people leaving and being replaced by a, 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 an ever demanding conveyor belt of people who burn out after three or four years I mean it's just unsustainable or people who don't who would be amazing leaders not wanting to go for that leadership mm. role because they feel like there aren't opportunities for them to work in a way yes. that suits them I think it's really sad that that's the case it just it just made me feel sad and a bit angry that someone mm. who could has the potential to be a brilliant leader feels like she can't do that. Um, so I, I think things like women ed, if we can involve people through that, we can create more of a sense of being able to do something to do something like that. What's next for women ed? How how do you? I mean, we do have listeners in. I have to say, we're a very international podcast right. and we do have listeners i think i've had listeners in over 26 countries Brilliant. so you know feel free to try and sell it to <laughs> to get some people in other countries working with you um but what's next for women ed where, where are you going next um well we're definitely working with great clarity on our four key campaigns so to increase representation of women in leadership roles um, and to increase representation of 
women for, of an ethnic heritage and from underrepresented groups, um, to reduce gender pay gaps and to advocate for flexible working. So we're particularly concerned with those key issues. We are working all the time on new networks of people who are really interested in joining. We used to initially just be so grateful if one person wanted to do something. Um, we, we are a little bit more clear now <laughs> on what it takes to lead a network and what a great network team looks like. So we're very concerned about ensuring um, a diverse network team and that the different education sectors in a network are represented and different languages, different experiences, different ways of thinking. So it takes a bit of time to build a new network team now. And I think that's, that's working well and is attracting others to it. Um, if people out there want to get involved or to know what that would mean in, in Women Ed, then we are at Women Ed on Twitter. And that is the best and quickest way to contact us as volunteers. We've learned that Twitter is such an agile, quick and free, <laughs> free way of working. But we also have an email. So womenedleaders at gmail.com. Um, very happy to talk with people. And we then put you in touch with the relevant strategic leader for the region. So we have Canada and US, we've got the UK, um, we've got Europe and we've got Asia and we've got Australia. Somebody who would guide you through how to do that. And then you become part of this ever-growing women ed family. We have over 160 network leaders. Um, and they are the people who support women as close as possible to where they live and work and understand more of the context. But then we also have so much working across the whole community. So our blogs are from everyone across the global community. Our um, events are from everybody all over the globe. And we learned with the online-ness of the pandemic, that of course, then we could have videos of all of the events. So anybody can engage with any of those events. It's not tied down by geography anymore. Mm. Um, and we've started work on our second global online on conference. We had our first last year, which attracted a really global yeah, audience it was, it was of brilliant, yeah contributors and audience and this year we are thinking <laughs> we're, we're thinking still whether we can do an overnight session so that we pull in Canada and Australia at either right. end yeah. rather than them having to get up in the middle of the night if they want to contribute so we're just thinking about how we could do that but we're really looking forward to that because the first one was so fabulous and such amazing contributions that we're looking forward to repeating that. Um, we're going to become a charity, as I said, which means we hope we can work with an even wider range of partners. Um, that's enough for a little bit, isn't it? 
I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's enough there, Vivian. You've 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 got some. Yeah. I, I just think like being so ambitious for women is just so important, and being advocates for women in leadership and supporting women and building those networks. That's why I do what I do in yeah. terms of you know building networks through yes, group, group coaching, which I think there's a place for one to one coaching, which I do as well, but. I really feel like the power of group coaching when you have a group of mm. 12 women who come together to just share their experiences, their issues, help help each other to solve yes. problems. And you can see that the women in those groups really they feel empowered and they they flourish. You know, they've they've ended up with associate assistant head jobs moving from one school to another where you know they feel like their values are yes you know they can really live their values and be authentic it's shifted things for those women and that's because they've worked together as a as a group of like-minded people yeah and we do a lot the whole everybody in the women ed community does a lot of informal coaching of each other offline but we also have some countries, England in particular, um, and Thailand is interested in this, where they have their own informal coaching set of coaches, and they know that they can add offer those coaches to whoever is then asking for it. So it's it's not just anybody can anybody coach me. It's a little bit more structured in that way. Um, I think one of the things that might help other women in terms of thinking about women ed is that we're very focused on the impact of the work that we do um, on those four campaigns, but also for individual women, for organisations. And there's a neat little trick that people could try so that they could see some of those impact, that impact for themselves. If they're on Twitter and in the search bar, if you put hashtag women ed and hashtag impact, all the tweets in which people are ascribing some impact to women ed or they're talking about the power of women ed for them, all this waterfall of tweets just starts to come up and you can add it add a network into that or you can add 10% braver into that and you can see the different ways that women ed is having an impact on women and and maybe might mean that's why you want to get involved and and join in um and when we get a bit of time ever we are going to do a paper a proper paper not just a blog but on exactly what the impact of women ed has been over the last six years, mostly to encourage other women to think, actually, we can do this as yeah. well. And, and that's, that's at the core of women ed, just how we can help individual women and men to help individual women. Well, this is my 10% Braver book. So this is my podcast book. And on the first page, I wrote a list of, um, I think there are 
about eight people I wanted to interview for my podcast and I was really really scared about doing it and now I've got like the whole book is just you can see I've got a whole Mm -hmm. book full of podcast interviews and I just go out there and ask people and if they don't want to do the podcast they don't want to do it but I'm not frightened of of getting out there and asking people and I think some of that 10% braver mentality has contributed to my ability to actually create this podcast and I'm actually very proud of of what I've done and that people like you who are so amazing will come on and be interviewed so thank you very much oh it's my pleasure and thank you because what you're doing is another way of celebrating amazing women and encouraging others so thank you for what you're doing um so if people want to find you I know you've said where they can find um information and engage with women ed if people want to find more out about you in particular where would they go to to follow you on twitter or to find out a bit twitter more about yes you? I'm at Vivian Porritt on twitter um I'm on facebook as that um I'm linkedin as my name Vivian Porritt as well um I'm obviously an editor and an author in our two books um and my email address is vivianpt at hotmail.com so get in touch brilliant that's so amazing thank you so much for for going through that i'm sure that people are going to be you know going on twitter now and typing all those things in to find out more and how they can be involved if they're not already because i think a lot of our listeners are Mm. engaging with women ed already but um we just need to keep building the networks, don't we? So thank we you, Vivian. It's been, it's been brilliant. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you indeed. I'm sure you'll agree with me that that was a really fascinating interview with Vivian. And there are some shocking, shocking statistics there that she shared with us. But there's a lot of positives to take from it as well. Vivian speaks very powerfully of how important the building of networks is especially for women and also how important it is that women have a voice on social media and how women ed have contributed so strongly to that and that is to Vivian's credit that she's had such a powerful influence in that regard. The other thing that I think strikes me in what Vivian says is just the importance of inclusivity for women to be more successful and to gain gender parity in leadership roles and pay. And men need to support women to do that. <clears throat> you know, Vivian emphasised how vital it is that men are involved and how important it is to continually challenge the men, the organisations and the systemic issues that currently are preventing women from taking on those leadership roles. And she also talks about our lived experiences and how important they are and being part of a values-based organisation and this is one of the things that is so important to well-being in schools that we've explored numerous times in in many of the episodes that we've done so far. I think we also talked with Vivian about how we see ourselves as women and how society has conditioned us to see ourselves and what we can do to change that as women taking the responsibility for that ourselves to change how we see ourselves and how that can have an impact on our confidence as women and that is one of the women ed values 
um, is, is confidence and we need to be role models we need to tell our stories and what we've learned and that's one of the reasons that I do the podcast so that I can tell my story and share with you what I've learned from my experiences and that's really important and let's finish by being 10% braver and that I think is just such a great motto um, as such a great mantra to live by, try to be 10% braver. Let's challenge ourselves as women and men who are listening, support us in that to challenge ourselves to push past the stereotypes. And that is what's important. Let's not live up to the stereotypes. Be yourself, be your authentic self and be confident in who you are. That's all we've got time for for today's episode, <clears throat> but I do still have a couple of places left on my Women Leader Group Coaching Program. One of the women who uh, was involved in the last program that I delivered said that it's the best training that she's done in the last 20 years that she's worked in the public sector. So it is a course that is well worth doing. And I just wanted to say, if there's anybody listening out there who has tried to contact me via my website, I had a glitch on the website, I'm afraid to say, and I missed a couple of emails that had been sent to me expressing an interest in the programme. So if you were one of those people who emailed me to say you were interested, please get back in touch. So you can DM me on Twitter or LinkedIn, and you would definitely be able to get hold of me. So there are still a couple of places. And if you're interested, please do get in touch or join us on the We Lead Well Facebook page. I'd love to have you join that group too. So whatever you're doing, enjoy the rest of the summer holidays and I will speak to you next time. Take care of yourself, take care of your staff and lead well. This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance.